Ryan Stanton here with ASAP Frontline today, a special episode. It's going to be a little bit of a, a uh, NPR feel today because I'm actually at the racetrack. So you may actually hear some cars in the background racing around, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're going to talk a little bit of rheumatoid arthritis uh, here, uh, here today with Dr. Marsha Ford and um, actually was in her neck of the woods for part of yesterday as part of the traveling fun that happens with... Uh, with aviation these days. Uh, but we are gonna chat about rheumatoid arthritis. So first and foremost, let's start off with uh, you giving us a little bit of a background about yourself and let folks get to know you. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, well, I am um, uh, was originally trained in uh, internal medicine back in the day when there were very few training programs. Uh, I grandmothered into emergency medicine uh, and uh, and then later went back and did a, a toxicology fellowship at NYU Bellevue in the New York City Poison Center. Um, spent 32 years at the Carolinas Medical Center program, um, 22 of those years actively practicing emergency medicine and the last 10 doing medical toxicology. And then also a lot of uh, different things with the Poison Center and um, a lot of ACIP activities and that sort of thing. Well, let's dive right in on some conversation. As I say, we're talking a little bit of rheumatoid arthritis. is something we see frequently in the emergency department, not a topic that I've covered on the podcast uh, to any extent before. Also, always a consideration for us in emergency medicine when we see that is uh, what are they taking for it um, with the potential, uh, how that may change some of the things we uh, have in the emergency department, especially infectious. So let's talk, let's just start early on what is the disease burden uh, in makeup of rheumatoid arthritis? Well, you know, worldwide, the incidence is about 1%. Um, and, you know, this is a disease that is uh, predominantly, uh, you know, an autoimmune disease that affects the synovial tissues. And we all think about that. But it also affects the vascular, in, vascular endothelium. And so as a result, you get a lot of complications that have to do with where the blood vessels are and what happens there. Um, it is still predominantly two to one female to male ratio, but as men get older, uh, they begin to catch up on that. Um, it is um, a disease that in the emergency department, you are unlikely, you can think about it uh, in somebody who has never been diagnosed. And we want you to think about it, but you're probably not going to make the diagnosis in the ED. But as you pointed out, you're going to be faced also with the comorbidities and the complications of the disease and also the adverse drug events that occur with all these different medications. Um, it is a disease that if you get started on medications early, um, you are less likely to have a lot of the complications that we're talking about, cardiac, pulmonary, et cetera. Um, so that's why it's important to make the diagnosis and to get people on medicines. And we know from numerous studies that have been done that patients who are, because of race, ethnicity, um, lower socioeconomic status, they often don't get diagnosed in a timely fashion and they don't get put on the disease modifying drugs in a timely fashion. So that was one of the things, all those factors were one of the things that drove ASEP to want to create 
uh, an ACE, uh, an emergency medicine point of care tool, um, and that's where I came in um, to help emergency physicians at the bedside manage these cases. So clearly, and as you mentioned with the diagnosis, we probably won't be doing a lot of the diagnosing in the emergency department on the new cases. You can't have that suspicion. Um, but getting them referred timely to somebody who can do that diagnosis. But let's dive into that EM point of care tool. What what goes into it, and then you know how is it going to benefit? Because it's it is one of those things that we are going to see these patients in a narrow window in our emergency department, often not related to the rheumatoid arthritis, but it could be. It may be uh, something secondary. So let's let's chat about that a little bit and talk about how. Um, uh, how this, how uh, the point of care tool will assist in what has gone into it. Um, so, first of all, even though we don't think you're going to be able to make the diagnosis simply because of all the different uh, things that go into making that diagnosis, uh, we don't think you're going to be able to do that for sure in the ED. Still, here's what might make you suspect you're dealing with a case. Um, a patient has a history of some complaints typically in the smaller joints of the hands and feet. Um, they have some complaints about fatigue, low-grade fevers, weight loss, morning stiffness, that sort of thing. Um, and <clears throat> those are things that um, should make you, when you get that piece of the history and then you do the physical exam and you find some maybe increased warmth, swelling, of the MCPs, the MTPs, the PIPs, um, that should make you think about RA. And so let's say you have a patient who comes in with an acute MI and somehow you pick up on some of this stuff. The reason to then think about the possibilities of RA would be that it may be that the inflammatory mediators that you have in the disease are what are responsible for this person having an MI. Now, when these when folks tend to present with um, the initial symptoms of RA, um, does it tend does it tend to have some sort of prior or recent precipitating factor, or is it, you know, does it tend to be more that slow, just as you mentioned, noticing the the fingers and the the um, fingers and toes and and things of that nature, or you know, potentially even after some of uh, an infectious process, something that gets the immune system jacked up and fired up, does that tend to present them or, or fast track this more if they're not on therapies? Right. So, you know, there are all sorts of theories about, first of all, there is a, a genetic component for some of the cases. Um, and then some of the people seem to have a preceding infection. Some of the people seem to have preceding trauma, but there's no one specific uh, preceding thing that's going to tip you off that, oh, okay, now we have a case of uh, RA on our hands. Um, and just as a, as a side thing on the infection, the other thing is a lot of people, not a lot, but a number of people can have a post-infectious, a post-viral, let's say, um, polyarticular arthritis, and they can present to the emergency department um, and those patients, you need to look at, you know, what's going on. Think about a polyarticular presentation for RA. Also think about polyarticular septic arthritis. But these, these others, these like these post-virals, 
they're going to get better and probably resolve in eight weeks. So um, that's another reason that infection sometimes can precede some cases of arthritis that present to the emergency department and they turn out not to be all right. You're not going to know that. You're not going to know that. And if you're like me, when I was practicing, I always assumed the worst and then work backwards. That was always my philosophy about anything. Take the worst possible case scenario and work backwards. Um, and so, um, but there are no, there's, again, getting back to your question, there are no definite precipitating factors that are going to help you with this. And it is a chronic sort of indolent presentation in most patients. Now we've got these patients presenting, and I completely agree. Um, you know, we're not going to know, and that's exactly, I think, how most emergency physician is what's going to kill them first, is the way I put it. What's going to kill them first, rule it out, and then kind of work down from there. And eventually you get to something that uh, they're stable and need to be admitted, or they're, uh, or they're fine with no significant condition and can go home, uh, even if it is something that needs to be followed up and further investigated. Um, what are the components that have been put together into this, uh, the point of care tool for emergency physicians regarding rheumatoid arthritis? Well, we've got a section on uh, making the diagnosis initially with the clinical presentation, typical physical findings. Um, and um, then we talk a little bit about labs, imaging, um, and, um, and some initial management. And then we get into the section about um, emergent conditions. And really, we, we refer two things there. Oh, and we give you a nice little table on differential diagnosis. Um, because, you know, in the ED, what, what did I tend to see? Um, gonococcal arthritis, septic arthritis, um, gout, pseudogout, um, those sorts of things. Some of the post-viral stuff, although, again, you can make your best guess there, but you don't know for sure right then. Those are the those are the things that I typically saw in the emergency department. Um, but we give a nice little table uh, that gives you some help on the differential diagnosis. And then we talk about some of the acute complications. And I do want to make sure that we get to the airway at some point um, and acute flare. And then we get into some of the um, non-articular uh, complications or co uh, complications like uh, pulmonary disease, uh, cardiovascular, optic, that sort of thing. Um, and then we have a very nice table you referred to uh, a little while ago, some of the drugs. We have a very nice table on the drugs that are used to treat RA patients. What are the common side effects, the serious side effects. If you have a patient in the emergency department and you're thinking about uh, what might be going on in terms of the effect of the drug, we've got some labs for you to draw. And then we have a comment section to give you a little bit more information if it's needed. And then after that, we go into management strategies. And at the very end, we give you a little bit about disposition um, and how the wording that you, the things that you need to document in the medical record and some sample wording for making um, a diagnostic, um, well, to, to make the diagnosis or to help you um, if you are, are suspecting RA or suspecting a complication of RA or an adverse drug event. Sounds like a pretty extensive. 
It's the waterfront. Yeah, it says this is. We that's tried more. to cover it. Good, uh, and let's let's dive into a little bit of that with um, gets a little bit of a cheat here um, with that suspecting of potentially you've got the 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 differential uh, rundown there. Uh, what are some of the labs in imaging that are recommended? Because a lot of times I'll order some of these tests. Um, in order to get a head start for the uh, clinic when they're following up, the worst thing I hate, my wife's med peds, and so, you know, when she's at clinic uh, doing her lipidology clinic or pediatric lipidology, you know, they, they, these kids come in and their labs weren't drawn. So now they're having to get their labs drawn, and now they have another appointment coming up. So what are some of the labs and imaging that we can do to help kickstart this evaluation and make it more efficient, not only to help us in terms of the emergency department, um, with some of that differential and ruling out those dangerous things we may see, but also then potentially helping um, the uh, room or, or primary in the follow-up appointment. So again, these labs that I'm gonna mention um, are gonna be a very little help to you in the emergency department, but as you point out, you're probably gonna be referring this patient to someone and they will be helpful. So they're the acute phase reactant, said rate, and C-reactive protein. And um, I know when I was practicing, we could get those easily in the emergency department. And then there are two more um, that are sero serological, the rheumatoid factor, which we couldn't get, and a new one, a newer one called the anti-CCP, citrullinated protein. Just uh, all you need to remember is anti-CCP and Oh my God, let me get to the EMPOC tool to help me out here. Um, those are the four things that the rheumatologists or the primary cares that are working with these patients are going to need to look at. So a um, couple of things. The anti-CCP is a lot more specific for RA, like up in the 90, 90s percentile specific. Um, but the rest of them are don't have the sensitivity or the specificity uh, to help you out really to make the diagnosis in the ED. Here's how they are helpful. First of all, if you, and they're not helpful, by the way, in helping you determine whether or not somebody's having a flare. But they are helpful, can be helpful. If you think somebody has a septic arthritis, now that's a case where the sed rate is almost always elevated. So if you have an elevated SED rate, that gives you, or if you have a normal SED rate, that might steer you away from thinking that it's a septic arthritis. Um, that's how those are helpful. In terms of imaging in the ED, um, and even to, when you're referring somebody, there's nothing really that you're going to do that's going to help in terms of the primary disease. If you think somebody has interstitial lung disease, which is a complication and a serious complication from RA, and you can get a high resolution CT scan and look for that. And obviously, if you have any one of a number of neurological complications, you may need an MRI. Um, so those are ways in which imaging can be of help in the ED. So basically, the imaging base would be what we're doing for the evaluation based on the presentation anyway, um, with those Correct. types of the sites. Now, we're, let's talk about some of that initiation of treatment. You know, we're not going to be diving into, not that, that I know of, at least that I would think of in my emergency department, diving into things such as biologics or whatnot in the emergency department. 
So what, what, uh, what can we do in terms of initial treatment in the emergency department to help this patient as we're bridging into the referral? Well, <clears throat> so these patients, a lot of them have pain and are, have significant discomfort. And so, you know, the way to start out is with your non-steroidals, assuming that there's no contraindication. Um, and then you want to follow that um, with probably, well, if you need something further, you can try acetaminophen. I never had much luck myself with that as a good pain med, but some people do respond to it. Um, and then you are going to... Um, then um, start them on some prednisone, probably. Um, and we've got uh, a sample 16-day regimen that we give you. Um, it's not the only regimen out there. But you start out at usually about 20 milligrams a day and stick with that for four days and then go down by five milligrams every day until you finish. So it's a 16-day regimen. Oh, one of the, you can do oral prednisone. There's no advantage to any other route. And the one thing point I want to make is do not, do not think that you can write a prescription for a methylprednisolone six-day pack. We call them medrol packs. That's just, they don't need, they need lower dose. They need it for longer. So six days is not going to get it. So that's how you start out managing these cases and then obviously working closely for, to make sure there's some follow-up. Yeah, it makes sense with the, and actually I've never been a huge fan of the dose packs anyway, just whether they have them, how many days, whatever it may be, um, I find it easier just to go ahead and put in, put in the actual um, prednisone taper uh, like you. I think mine's a 15-day taper just to make it easier uh, on my, from my standpoint. Right, and now you know what you can do, what you can do, Ryan, is you can uh, work with your rheumatologist and most people, I mean, everybody, I think now is doing electronic medical records and electronic prescribing and just come up with a regimen that seems reasonable and already have it loaded up so that you don't have to do like I did and write it all out. Yeah, it does make it a lot easier now that we can see most of the notes, most of the records, things, right, communications. Right. That is one of the good things if you can find it uh, during that time for the EMR. With, um, now we have patients coming in. You know, patients got a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. They are on one of the longer term medications and then we're dealing with, and that's I think one of the larger concerns and more consistent concerns is somebody coming in on long term steroids or on some sort of other medication that may be an immune modulator that may put them at higher risk for certain types of infections and complications. Let's talk about that in the emergency department. When a rheumatoid, an RA patient comes in the emergency department, is on treatment, and now we're dealing with the other things that may be going on, especially focused around potentially infections. Right. So we're the recommendation is if somebody has an active infection to hold to hold the DMARDs, the disease modifying drugs, anti-rheumatic drugs hold those um, for active infections and and then get the patient followed up because if they if they're on the DMARDs, they've either got a rheumatologist or they have an internal medicine doctor or a family doctor who's got them on those drugs and you can make sure they're going to get followed up. Um, if somebody has, this is another thing, if somebody has a uh, an open wound 
uh, a, pen a penetrating wound. Um, this happened to me. I, I have this disease, which is why I was so interested in doing this when ASAP approached me. Um, and I had a little altercation with a rototiller in my garden. And um, I wound up not being able to take my meds for a couple of months because of this, because uh, of the risk of infection. So if you have somebody who comes in with trauma, it's penetrating, it's open, you want to take them off their DMARDs and have them followed up. Um, and then the last thing is newly diagnosed pregnancy, because some of these, some of these drugs, they don't really know um, the impact that it can have on the fetus. Others are known to be teratogenic. And so um, you want to take them off of any DMARD that they're on and again, get them followed up. Now, glucocorticoids, a number of RA patients are on prednisone. And they're there, they've been chronically on prednisone. You take them off of it, they're liable to go into acute adrenal crisis. So there, uh, for the trauma, for the pregnancy, go ahead and continue the glucocorticoids. And then for the infection part, uh, use your clinical judgment. You know, if it's a little patch of cellulitis uh, someplace, you would probably go ahead and continue the glucocorticoids. If they've got a major infection, maybe not, but just realize that they might get precipitated into acute adrenal crisis if you take them off. Well, let's, let's roll back into that with the potential adrenal crisis, um, that consideration of even um, potentially having to burst dose them um, with is, is the point that we have to burst dose um, with prednisone or the glucocorticoids if somebody comes in potentially um, with, a, with a stress response or whatnot. Is there going to be a need at any point for us to actually provide more of the steroids when they come in for a process either related or not related to rheumatoid arthritis? Yes, I don't have any, you know, other than sepsis, I don't have any specific disease entity. Um, it's going to depend on the level of the stress. Obviously, if somebody has a very mild URI, no. If somebody has a um, UTI, you're concerned that there might be some spread to kidney, you know, they've got bladder, you suspect uh, some spread to the kidney, then maybe they're going to need a stress dose and, and some tapering. You bring up a very good point um, that there's not really, and I've looked for it, some good guidance about this in terms of what it, so it's really more of a clinical judgment thing. All right, so now we've we've got those folks that are already on it that are coming in with whatever infection are, where you've got some of the medications we're going to start with. A lot of these medications are coming out now. A lot of new medicines are hitting the market uh, for the treatment of a lot of these autoimmune disease processes. Um, what are the things that we may see in terms of people being initiated on these medications? Um, and potentially presenting to the emergency department with complications or side effects from the actual medications themselves? It's a huge, I mean, it depends on the drugs that they're on, and it's a huge number of things that they can potentially uh, present with. But I think in general, the systems that tend to get um, impacted are uh, pulmonary, um, cardiovascular, and hematological. And so when you see somebody with a problem in those three areas and they're on some of these DMARDs, 
you need to be thinking, is this due to the drug? Um, the other thing, obviously, are infections. Both the, D, the DMARDs and um, um, the glucocorticoids increase risk for infection. Now, the, the uh, you know, the um, organisms are typically the same as they are for general population, um, with a few exceptions, may seem more proteus with a UTI. You have to think about prim uh, precipitating primary TB, precipitating a recurrence of latent TB. Um, but uh, it, it's really, like I said, it's, it's a huge number. There are some of these newer ones that put you at increased risk for um, gastrointestinal perforation. Um, some of them, the JAK inhibitors that are out now, put you at increase for major adverse cardiac events like MI, stroke, uh, thromboembolism, pulmonary embolism. Um, and so you have to, uh, you know, think about when you see somebody on a JAK inhibitor, you have to think about that. Um, so again, that's where I think this table that we have done, which again is fairly comprehensive, is going to help. Obviously, you can also go to your other sources that you have where you look up medications and adverse effects. Um, we also give some guidance about when you need to withhold um, a medication for a reason other than infection, like declining renal function, elevated LFTs, um, that sort of thing. And that's also in this table. Yeah, it's going to be good to have those uh, the tables for sure, just because of the sheer volume of things that we're going to see and this hodgepodge of letter salad that gets thrown at us that's the new medicine of the day. Uh, you start seeing the last three letters and you think, well, I think I know who that is. Um, yeah, but it seems to be a new medication at every turn. Um, let's, uh, as we wrap up today, any closing thoughts uh, with your experience with rheumatoid, ar rheumatoid arthritis? what you'd like for our listeners uh, to understand and any closing thoughts on the point of care tool? Um, well, I think, first of all, uh, use the tool, uh, give us some feedback. Um, I am very interested in getting feedback, what works, what does it with the tool uh, and what, you know, if anything's confusing, clarifying, things like that. Um, think about, again, the fact that rheumatoid arthritis is not just an articular problem, but it can affect other systems in the body and be thinking about that. Because uh, as an example, somebody comes in with an acute MI, uh, the management's gonna be the same, except you're gonna be thinking about if the patient's disease is known and not under control, or you really suspect it, how can you quickly get it diagnosed and then start them on an anti-inflammatory regimen, which would be helpful? Or it, is the person on a JAK inhibitor and that needs to be withheld, that sort of thing. And that's the benefit of using the tool is having access to that kind of information um, in the table I keep mentioning. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it, it's very interesting. I talked to my rheumatologist and uh, who's on the their national board which is based in Atlanta by the way and um, they're very interested in what we're doing because they realize that there's a nationwide there's a shortage of rheumatologists and 
there's a significant amount, a number of people who don't have access to one. And they're very interested in doing something similar to help primary care physicians um, manage cases uh, and diagnose cases. So I, I think when I learned that, I thought, well, ASAP's out in front again. And um, I felt pretty good about that. So again, use the tool, give us feedback. Um, and um, I guess that's it. Talking with Dr. Marsha Ford here from our Circuit of the Americas edition of the podcast with Porsches driving all around us. So I'm sure if you're listening to the podcast on my part of it, you may be able to hear some of those cars whizzing by, but we take advantage to chat with our experts when we can get the chance to talk to our experts. Uh, so I appreciate your time and uh, working with us and look forward to seeing the feedback for the tools. There's more and more tools we've talked about a number of them here on the podcast, whether it's from AFib to RA to whatever it may be, uh, the tools that are coming through to help uh, emergency physicians efficiently manage cases in their departments. And so, uh, Dr. Ford, I appreciate you joining us here today on the podcast. Thank you, Ryan. And good luck out there at the Speedway. Well, uh, it's uh, I'm not exactly sure when this one's going to be released. It's going to be relatively soon, but uh, everybody will know when it is because it's one of those days that uh, we started off in the 80s and it's only going up from there in a fire suit with it being around 108, 110 degrees. So uh, we're going to, thankfully we're not there yet, but we're going to uh, appreciate being inside the uh, chase vehicle with air conditioning running today for sure. But uh, it's uh, uh, with you being in Atlanta, you're not escaping it uh, today either. So, so enjoy it. And hopefully uh, by the time people listen to this, some of this heat wave is broken and it's starting to cool off around the country. Um, if you, how, how can folks contact you with, the, with either feedback for the tool, uh, email, or questions they may have? It's M-F-O-R-D, like the pickup truck, the number six, at me, M as in Mary, E as in elevator.com. It's an old Apple address. It's not really a narcissist's uh, email address, but uh, it's an old <laughs> Apple address. Most me. of us have those. Most of us. That's how most of us log into our stuff. Uh, mine just, yeah, it's so most of us have that at me.com. So it's not a huge deal. But as for me, you can contact me at rstantonadasep.org, rstantonadasep.org, and at Everyday Medicine on X. We're also available on Instagram. Uh, and until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASEP Frontline. front lines you're on the sidelines cue the music bam, bam, bam. Bam. quiet place all yeah. alone da, da, da.